everybody to Cooper and Kerry Have Words. My name's Barry Cooper. I have made it through Hurricane Ian. This is the morning after. Um, over there, 4,000 miles away in Yeovil, Somerset, I'm assuming, and probably also assuming a lot drier than I have been recently, is none other than my friend James Kerry. James, how's it looking over there? It is drier, but it is reassuringly drizzling right now, oh, as, it, as it does in England quite a lot. So, yeah, um, so yeah we, we haven't had it really as tough as you, but I do like to think, you know, that it's it's been a little bit windy as well occasionally. So, uh, and my... Bit, um, that's quite yeah. that's quite an extreme on the hurricane scale when a Brit says oh, it's been a bit been a bit drafty been a bit nippy yeah. that's higher than a Cat Five isn't it basically when a Brit yeah says yeah that. yeah my yeah. water butt fell over and is now damaged and needs replacing so anyway well, but we're waggling that. far too much from the tea because we have a brilliant guest who we've been actually yes. really wanting to get on the podcast for actually quite a long time so Barry why don't you introduce our guest yeah it's very true I've been reading um, Aaron I think we both have for for years now what must be five five six years Aaron's a writer and consultant based in Indianapolis who is a co-founder and senior fellow at American Reformer which aims to promote a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day I, I think I've been I, I started listening to uh, reading The Masculinist when it was in its fairly early days and and what I love about it and James you can chip in here and what I'm why I'm really excited about you being on the show Aaron is because I rarely feel when I'm reading that and when I'm reading your newsletters now and listening to your podcasts that I've heard this opinion somewhere else. I thank you for the kind words because I do try to put out things that you can't get anywhere else. And on the internet, if you want to attract an audience, the good news is the gatekeepers are gone. I don't need to have a, a column in the Times or something in order for people to read me. The downside is I have to do all my own marketing. I have to attract all my own readers. Hmm. And- so I try to put out things that are not the same as everyone else so that I'm worth reading. The other path to building an audience is often to be some kind of a provocateur or uh, you know, reality show TV type uh, to try to do crazy things, uh, to, to get an audience or generate a lot of controversy to uh, do an audience. I don't want to shy away from controversy, but I prefer to be practical and intellectual to, to the extent that I can, fair, uh, rigorous insightful. And I do try to say things that other people aren't saying or bring a new lens on a problem. Not all of the stuff is original to me. Sometimes I find uh, underappreciated thinkers and just bring their insights to the table. So I won't claim that everything is original to me, but I try to do that. And maybe it even gives a false picture of how unconventional I am because the sort of me just repeating what everybody else believes, that stuff usually doesn't make it into the site because mm. who's going to read me to hear what you can already get from a million other sources out there. Yeah. So part of it is I have to put out new things. <laughs> but fortunately, I haven't run out of ideas yet. And I guess your perspective is because you're, you're not a pastor and you're not a theologian. Um, and, you know, you've, you've had a secular career in um, as a you know management tech consultant. And so you're always going to approach these things slightly differently. But I'd love to. But, but bearing that in mind, I'd love to just know. Um, uh, where the masculinists uh, came from, because we're going to we're mm. going to get to newsletter twenty five in a moment, which right. was published in September twenty eighteen, called mm. "What Do We Do About the Friend Zone?" Talking about male female friendship within yep. the context of of the Matt Chandler stuff uh, that's been happening in the in the last month or, or so. Right. But I'd be really interested to know at what point did a uh, a policy guy, a consultant guy, decide I'm going to start a newsletter and I'm going to call it the masculinist? Yeah. So. 
my my newsletter, which has really expanded well beyond men's issues today, I've sort of semi-retired the masculinist name. So if you go there expecting a ton of gender-related content, you'll see some, but it's much broader kind of look. I've, I've been trying to integrate all of the things uh, that I do and all the skills that I have into kind of one site. So it's broader than just gender issues, but that was originally the focus. I was working for a think tank in New York City, studying urban policy. That was sort of career number two after career number one, which was management consulting. And uh, I decided to start writing a newsletter about Christianity and masculinity because I observed, and this was probably back in the 2013 to 2015, 16 timeframe, that all of these young men were turning to online gurus for advice about how to live and insights about, you know, not just how to deal with women, uh, but, you know, how to build a career, uh, how you should be approaching the world. And I realized, man, there are a ton of these guys and they're drawing big audiences and they're not turning to the church. Why are these men not turning to traditional authority figures and instead turning to these online figures? And at the time, uh, this collection of websites called the Manosphere was quite big. A lot of them were pickup artists or other people of sort of nefarious values. But I'm like, why are men turning to them uh, for insight? And then, you know, today it's a lot easier to explain this to people because I can always say, look, why are the young men turning to Jordan Peterson? Why are they turning to Joe Rogan? Why are they turning to Andrew Tate? All of these people, millions and millions of these young men are looking to them for leadership, guidance, insight. They're not turning to the church. They're not turning to traditional authority figures. And I said, there's something about those people and what they are saying that is resonating with these young men. And we have to figure out how to get in the game because if we don't, uh, well, you know, one, of course, if you believe that the, you know, the Christian church is true, then obviously you want people to be Christians, but you also want to be able to help people flourish in life and do so in a way that's underpinned by a moral system, uh, not by a hedonistic system that's based around get rich, sleep with lots of women, uh, take advantage of society, you know, mm. impose your will on the world. There's a lumberjack mm. version of that as well, isn't there? There's a yeah. there's a go out and hunt and, you know, do manly things, build a log cabin. Right. You know, there are loads of ways in which men can be extremely right. masculine and rediscover their masculinity. Right. Mm. Well, I say, and again, there's healthy ways to express certain things and there's unhealthy ways. And I do think that our society uh, doesn't really like men all that much, constantly berating men. And I, what I basically found is the church is telling people a lot of things just aren't true uh, about men and women. You know, uh, it, a lot of these religious figures go far, far beyond traditional scripture and theology, because let's be honest, you know, something like the Bible doesn't really say anything about dating. And yet these guys have tons and tons of dating advice. And here's, mm -hmm. you know, what women are interested in. They'll say, here's what women are interested in. And this will be a great example I love to use. You know, maybe it's a little contrived, but just it just illustrates the point. We, you mentioned Matt Chandler, who's this U.S. megachurch pastor in Dallas. He once wrote an article in which he said, I keep telling people godliness is sexy to godly people. So that's what he says. Godliness is sexy. You go to Jordan Peterson. What does Jordan Peterson say in 12 Rules for Life? Girls are attracted to boys who win status competitions with other boys. Hmm. Who's more true on that? Well, I look across my life. Yes, the girls want to be with the captain of the football team. They want to be with a famous rock star. 
They want to be with the rich guy, the successful guy, the powerful guy. Podcasters. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, So what's really happening is they're conflating sort of moral characteristics with what makes you attractive. If you're trying to find a spouse, whether you're male or uh, female, then there are really two categories of attributes. There's the attributes that make someone attractive, and then there are the attributes that make someone a high-quality marriage prospect. And I think as a guy, it's very easy for us to see, oh, there are women that we think are smoking hot, but you know, we think they would be not the kind of women we'd want to marry. Conversely, there could be like these amazing girls who just, you know, we're just not very attracted to for whatever reason. And so ideally you have both sets of characteristics. And a lot of things, times what the church has basically done is they've conflated the things that make a man a good you know, would make a man a good husband, you know, conscientiousness, love, diligence, hard work, going to church, those things, and conflated them with what makes a man attractive. And they said, well, women are looking for that. And of course they want that, but they don't just want that. They don't want to marry the boring mid-level banker guy, right? Mm -hmm. They also want a guy who's got something going on. They want some excitement. And so women are actually attracted to things like power and status, confidence and charisma, uh, style and appearance, the resources like money. Those are the sorts of things that drive attraction. And so if you spend all your time focusing on being what you know these guys in the church like to call servant leader, you're actually not spending any time working on what's making you attractive. And in a way, those differences are very much uh, gender, biological, preferential. And so whilst we might want to sort of bend biological reality to our biblical will and say, oh, you know, it would, wouldn't it be wonderful if godliness was the most attractive um, yeah. of all the virtues that a man uh, could have. That just doesn't seem to be the case. And it feels like sometimes we're just preaching for the world that we want rather than the world yeah. that God has actually made and given us in, in a gendered uh, way. But people really don't like, you know, and you must get it a lot where people just go, oh, so all women must blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I know someone who's not like that or I'm not like that. And it's like, yeah, but I know a woman who's taller than a man. Oh. Okay, uh, most yeah. men are taller than most women. Are we? Do we have to do this? But we, we we really struggle to talk about this stuff in any kind of sensible way at all, don't we? Yeah. I don't. Uh, like to use terms like biology because then people start coming after you. Yeah, they start. You don't have any studies that prove this. Hmm. I just like to refer to some of the best sources of objective data on hmm. human behavior when it comes to dating and gender, which now we have, and it's the online dating sites. One of the yeah. things that the move to online dating allows us to do is to now see how do people actually behave <laughs> in the real world. And it used to be sites like OKCupid published tons of research about behaviors. A lot of that's been taken down. Uh, <laughs> you can still find it in like the web archives, but yeah, you know, I think a lot of these guys figured out, wait a minute, some of this data we're coming out with is not politically correct. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that they've done, for example, is they've used uh, this me- measure called the Gini coefficient. Uh, which is constant, uh, typically used to measure income inequality economically. It's the degree to which uh, incomes are 
you know, in in, uh, in, in unequal in society. So it's a number between zero and one. I think zero is perfectly equal and one is perfectly unequal, although I may have it reversed. And so this is the measure that's typically used when they measure income inequality around the world, where they're able to essentially uh, come up with substitute metrics for money, like essentially likes or something like that on these online dating sites. And they can create essentially an income inequality measure for men versus women. And what they find is essentially men face a much more unequal distribution of likes than women. At the men, the people at the very top, you know, the top 10 to 20% are just raking in the attention and the likes, whereas kind of everybody else at the bottom is sort of left out in the cold. And this is, you know, one reason why it's possible that one, there can be lots and lots and lots of people having sex and hooking up and all of that. And yet many people never have sex at all. You know, in society, you keep, you, you read kind of both kind of stats, and they can both be true at the same time, and that there's a kind of a, a small group of winners, and there's a not so great group of losers. There's another famous series of graphs that a guy uh, who works for the SAS Institute, SAS is the statistical software lots of people do, have, he created these charts of how men and women rated people of the opposite sex. And the way men rated women was sort of almost the bell curve. Most people were average, and then it sort of tapered off to the extremes. When you look at how women rated men's attractiveness, something like 7% of men were rated as above average and attractive. Almost everybody else is below average. So the majority of men are rated as below average, and only a handful of people are rated as above average. So it's a very skewed uh, environment there. There's another one that OKCupid itself published that got a lot of play in the feminist press, where it said it measured the age of the person versus the age of the person that they think is most attractive. I can't remember exactly how they measured it, but they measured it on OKCupid, again, maybe through likes or some other mechanism. Well, what they found was the average age of a man that a woman finds most attractive is very similar to her own age. So as she gets older, the man that she finds most attractive gets older with her. Now, when she's young, she's in her 20s. Women tend to rate slightly older men as more attractive, slightly older, not a lot older. And when they get up into, say, their 40s, they tend to rate slightly younger men uh, as more attractive. But again, it's, it's kind of a line that skews with their own age. Whereas no matter what age the men are, uh, I rank, think I know where this is going. <laughs> they're ranking men in their like early 20s as mm-hmm. the most attractive by far. So what what woman a man finds attractive does not change based on mm-hmm. what age it is. And essentially every single age group except one rated you know something like 21, 22, 23, 24, one of those years as the the average age of the woman who looks best to them. Yeah. And so again the behavior, the key here is not whether the behavior is right or wrong. The key is that it's asymmetric. The behavior between the sexes when it comes to what they find attractive and how they yeah. operate, it's asymmetric. So you have to just ask one fundamental question, right? Are men and women the same or are they different? And they could be the same for a variety of reasons. They could be the same or different because of biology. They could be the same or different because of socialization. I don't think we need to pay an attention to that, but as the average person trying to make it, uh, you know, make it in this world who wants to date or get married or whatever you want to do, how people actually are versus how we would like them to be or how we theoretically think they should be mm-hmm. in a state of nature, 
uh, or prior to the fall or whatever you want to say, you have to find out how they really are. And I think it's very clear. Men and women are different. Their desires, behaviors, et cetera, are asymmetric. That doesn't necessarily mean that one's superior, one's inferior, but they're different. And if you are assuming that they're the same, then you're going to get burned. And so the the man, if he assumes that women are going to respond to or desire or value the things that he values, that's going to get wrong. And I think a lot of um, a lot of the things that are said in our society are really misleading in this regard because it takes a view of the world that people would like to be true or think should be true and present it as if that is what is true. And you often see this in, you know, it's not just in the church, it's also in secular thought, a lot of secular pop feminism thought, for example, which has tended to take the male mode of attractiveness and achievement and say that women should have the same thing or should aspire to the same thing and that men should value the same things as women. For example, career, education, et cetera. So the idea is because men are rated as more attractive if they have higher education, if they're more intelligent, if they're more successful in their career, then the idea is men should find women equally as attractive for mm. achievements in those areas. And again, as a should, you can argue that. Yeah. As an is, it's simply not true. What we yeah. see is men yeah. simply don't value those characteristics to nearly the same extent with women. And there's been research on this. How much extra income does it take to raise your attractiveness you know, one point on the 10-point scale? It takes enormously more income for a woman to be perceived as more attractive than it does for a man to be perceived as more attractive mm -hmm. because men are not as motivated to find a partner that is you know, smart, successful in her career, mm -hmm. um, et cetera. It doesn't mean those things have no value, but the value put on them is asymmetric. It's different. Uh, and some of the things that end up happening like hurt women in the relationship market. So women are sort of encouraged today to uh, lean in, to have it all, to focus on achieving you know, very high levels of career success, very high levels of educational attainment, which have their own rewards. But when you combine that with a preference that says, I don't want to marry down, I don't want to marry someone who's less successful than me, who's less educated than me, that's less you know, accomplished than me, mm -hmm. then the closer you get to the apex of the pyramid of success, the smaller and smaller the potential pool of people you can actually marry because you're going to say there's only a smaller pool. You know, if I'm the CEO of a company or the COO of a company, if I have a PhD, I'm going to need to have someone who at least has a PhD in some field or has some sort of attributes that make this person seem at my level mm -hmm. or higher. So the, the the dating pool gets much smaller, whereas men who typically don't care about those things are very happy to marry a woman who makes less money than they do. So their dating pool is going to be much bigger. Now, I mean, objectively, people at the higher income levels are more likely to marry and stay married. A lot of dysfunctions at um, lower socioeconomic status. Nevertheless, uh, you know, this asymmetry and thinking about the implications uh, of asymmetry uh, mm -hmm. are are, the, uh, are things that we, we need to be aware mm -hmm. of. One of my buddies has this quip that I think is very powerful. He's like, the domain of attraction 
between the sexes cannot also be the domain of competition between the sexes. If you end up in that scenario, then it's really toxic. So if career achievement, let's say, Hmm. is the domain of attraction, if that's what makes people attractive and men and women are competing for achievement in career, that is going to create toxic dynamics, unhealthy dynamics because of some of these things, the more successful you are in, uh, in your career, the less possibilities you have to get married, for example, uh, just because of the way that that works. So yeah. we have to think about some of these implications uh, for our lives. Look what I have created! I have been fired! I have been fired! We need to talk about Matt Chandler. I was going to say, well, talking of asymm- asymmetry is maybe a good yeah. jumping off point. So here's something you said um, in a, uh, this is August 30th newsletter. It says, back in newsletter 25, I talked about platonic friendships between men and women and why I personally have a policy to never have one-to-one personal friendships with women. A lot of Christians advocate these friendships, but I've rarely seen them lead to anything but disaster. And then uh, you say, I'll be super direct. It's one of the things I appreciate about you. I'll be super direct. Other than actual sin, nothing else in my life has done me more harm than being friends with women. Nothing else even comes close. So I established a rigorous policy against it. Now, I know that ties in with some of the asymmetries you've already been talking about, but perhaps give us a sense of how you reach that uh, why you establish that rigorous policy in your own life. Yeah, well, there is this idea that, you know, men and women should be friends. It should be possible to have a friendship. You know, it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be an inherently sort of romantic or, you know, erotic dimension to to these relationships. But because of these asymmetries uh, between men and women, it becomes essentially very difficult to do. And so, Typically, if a man and a woman are personal friends, one-on-one personal friends, platonic friends, then uh, my experience has been that one or the other of those typically has an asymmetry of intent. That is, they would like this relationship to be romantic, uh, and the other person does not, and they're trying to figure out how to advance it to the next stage which you might call being caught in the friend zone. And we know this is the case because if you search for how do I get out of the friend zone, <laughs> look at how many look at how many things come back on Google. And so it may well be the case that the relationship starts out as what seems to be like a friendship uh, based on some sort of personal interest. And then, though, over time, if that relationship sustains itself over time, in my experience, one or the other of the people will uh, ultimately develop a romantic interest or some type of interest in the other person. And the relationship will always have some of the characteristics of you know, a romantic relationship. So, for example, you know, if I... Uh, just to take an example from my own life, to be a friend with a woman gives you a different dimension of experience than being a friend with a man, because typically women are 
you know, much more attuned uh, to kind of, you know, emotional insights, personal discussion. So in some respects, it's easier to have more intimate conversations hmm. with women than it is with men because they draw that out of you. And if you're sort of an introverted guy uh, who's not naturally outgoing, you know, women more interested in your feelings, more interested in your life, more socially adept, they're going to be able to draw you out of your shell and you can maybe connect with them in a way that you can't connect with the other guys. And that can be that can be very good for a lot of guys. It's like it's like, uh, you know, it gets man. So many people are lonely today. So when you're lonely, uh, you know, men and women are lonely and you find something like that. It, it's like, wow, it's like a glass of water in the desert. But that sort of interaction is really not a friendship interaction. There is certainly an, you know, erotic undercurrent to it. In a certain sense, those levels of sort of intimacy and connection almost invariably lead to something else. So, yes, you could have, I think, a temporary, um, a temporary uh, friendship that lasts in that way. But it's very, very hard to have a, you know, have that last for more than six months mm. or so without mm. some sort of desires for the other person. And do you think that's uh, true even when there's a an imbalance in age? Let's say you know one or the other partner is much older. Do you think that helps to mitigate things a bit? Or, or yeah, well, I, you know what I was basically saying is, you know, there are uh, um, you know exceptions. So you know, mm. if if the guy is gay and he's got a female friend, that's going to be a different kind of relationship, perhaps. Right. right. If there's a tremendous age gap, then uh, I think it's possible to uh, you don't have to worry as much about that. But also, you're unlikely to really become personal friends, hmm. you know, at any sort of close level with someone who's much older. So you may have like an older uh, woman who lives next door to you, uh, or something of that nature, and you might become friends in a sense. Maybe you help her if she needs some help around the house or whatever. She's a widow or uh, it needs it needs a grass mode. When I lived in Evanston, you know, the woman who lived next to me was a very unhealthy in her fifties, and you know, it's like a single mom and. She really couldn't even mow her grass. Sometimes she had some adult sons that would come and take care of this. So sometimes I would like shovel out her sidewalk and stuff like that when I was, uh, you know, when it snowed. And, you know, so you could say we were friends, but this was a this was a very shallow relationship. This was a very shallow relationship or, you know, occasionally you'll, you'll go together. I don't think there's really typically close personal friendships that develop between people of very radical age groups. Um, like that. And I certainly say if you're a guy and, you know, you're, you know, you know, like, again, some really, really older woman, then you could, you would probably say there's not much danger there. Now, of course, if it's someone who's 30 years younger than you, just like those, just like that data we went through uh, from OkCupid, there's always a risk. You're going to get some infatuation there. So you have to, uh, you have to be, you'd be careful about it. So again, I think things that are, that are, that are, you know, rather shallow or transactional, uh, and I, I always say, look, I distinguish between personal and professional relationships. You know, I'm not one of these guys who says, oh, I'm never going to meet a woman for a cup of coffee because that would be wrong. Look, I mean, this is 2022. Uh, the idea that you're simply going to refuse to do business with women is is kind of crazy. So it's one thing to have a professional relationship or maybe you have uh, some kind of a relationship that's ori around, uh, oriented around a, a particular domain. But and there's there's wisdom to to use there as well, isn't there? Because you might end up having a meeting during office hours, 
in ideally a public space in a coffee shop. But if you decide to have that meeting at 8pm in a restaurant that's well known for being where couples go, it's like, well, right. don't right. do that. Yeah, exactly. You know, that, <laughs> that's how, I mean, I think that's kind of how uh, that, I mean, typically like I, I rarely ever do one-on-one -on -one dinners of any type, you know, in business world. So I do think, yeah, I do think there's wisdom there. And again, I think these are not people that are coming over to your house and hanging out with you. These are not people hmm. that you're just talking to on the phone hmm. uh, about life. These are people that you're connecting with because there's some, you know, reason or that's brought you together and you're working on that reason. And that's not to say that you can't you know, office romances obviously happen. And so you, you, you've got to be guarded uh, about that. There's obviously going to be a personal component to any business relationship, but again, it's very different from saying, uh, you know, here's this, uh, person about my own age at church, let's start hanging out together, uh, et cetera. And that's the sort of thing that has actually been encouraged, uh, especially in the Christian church. Um, Joshua Harris, who wrote the very famous book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which he's now unpublished, uh, and he's a, he's sort of rejected his faith, but he's basically like, I don't date, uh, that sort of thing, but I want to be friends with women. I think we need to have men and women be friends with each other. And so what kind of torture is that for, you know, a, a young adult in, in their early 20s? He was 21 when he read the book. You're 21. You're saying you can't go out on dates, but you actually are supposed to be friends and hang out with these women. Is that even really possible, hmm. you know, at ages when you still are like very hormonal and all those things? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like torture. And they, so they, they sort of encourage this so much. I'm like, it's deeply unhealthy. And so... um now, uh, so I would say, um, there, there, you, you know, that's just what I'd say. I don't do it because I don't think, I think it ends up with an asymmetry of intent, ultimately. And when you get into a relationship where there is asymmetry of, an, of intent, and it lasts for more than a, you know, relatively short period of time, then the relationship is exploitative at some mm. level. So let's let's take it out of the realm of friendship and put it into the realm of dating and get into a situation that we always hear about. A man and a woman are dating and she wants to take it to the next level. She wants to be married. Her desire is to be married. And they've been boyfriend and girlfriend for years. And he keeps talking like, yeah, well, you know, it's going somewhere. This is real. This is serious. But he's never buying a ring. He's never getting married. They're probably having sex. And I think most people would say, yeah, if this guy, you know, is not going to be willing to marry this woman, dating her for years and years and years while she's hoping that he will, is at some level exploitative because it's almost certain that he knows she's interested in getting married, certainly after a short period of time. And so, yes, a relationship may advance. Different people may have different speeds in their interest. One person may kind of be ahead a little bit in terms of where they want it to go. But if those don't get brought into alignment at some point, then the relationship sort of becomes exploitative. So I think if we look at a, at a friendship relationship, it's the exact same way. If there's a man and a woman who are friends, and it's usually the gender reversed here, the man is interested in dating her. I can almost guarantee you she knows that. <laughs> women uh, are pretty adept at picking up on things. And again, most men who are dating women are not ignorant of the fact that this woman may be interested in getting married here. Or she wants to take it to the next level. And so... He's in this relationship. He's going for who knows, could be years. I know the cases where this has lasted for years. He wants to take it to the next level. 
She's basically, let's just be friends. He stays invested in the relationship. I think that's an exploitative situation. You know, if she's she's aware, you know, if I'm, you know, if I were a man dating a woman or friends with a woman and I knew that she wanted to take it someplace that I did not, then I think there's an obligation on my part to not allow that relationship to continue because it would be exploitative uh, in that manner. And and so I, I think uh, both parties sort of have an obligation to take action at that point. And so maybe you could say, yes, you could be friends, but mm. I, I think it's overwhelmingly likely some type of asymmetry of intent will develop. And at that point, you know, it's incumbent on both of them to do something about that. Either you advance the relationship to the next level and say, oh, yes, we are going to start dating or we're going to take uh, I'm going to take action and just break it off. Uh, again, it's a great example in the U.S., this very famous pastor, Tim Keller. Uh, he started a big church in New York City, uh, a very successful guy, best-selling author. He and his wife wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage, his wife, Kathy. And he, they talked about when they were dating in seminary, and they were just friends. And Kathy wanted Tim to be her boyfriend. She's like, I don't want us to just hang out. I want us to be dating. And so in their marriage book, she tells this story, which she calls the pearls before swine speech. She delivers an ultimatum. Either you make me your girlfriend or we're not hanging out anymore. And so he said, okay, I'll make you my girlfriend, right? And the, and the rest is history. And she was right to do that. She's like, look, I am not going to stay in a friendship where my desire is unrequited. I'm going to go find a guy who's actually interested in dating me. And that was a very, very smart thing to do. In fact, I call it the Kathy Keller rule. There's all these rules named after these kind of men, the Billy Graham rule, the Mike Pence rule. We need some rules named after women. So I call it the Kathy Keller rule, which is if you're in this friend zone situation where you're interested in it being a dating relationship and the other person is not, then you need to action something to adv either advance the ball or get out. Say, look, if you want to date, that's great. If not, no, no hard feelings, but I'm moving on and going to do something else. And so that was a great story, I think, of someone who saw it. I'm in the friend zone. How do I get out of the friend zone? That's the only way out of the friend zone. Yeah. Right? The only way out of there's only two ways out of the friend zone. Either it becomes a dating relationship or you break it off. And, you know, neither, right. you know, it's unlikely if you're in the friend zone and frustrated in the friend zone that the other person is actually going to take that action. Because if they were, they would have done it already. And I actually think the other person should take that action. But, since they're not, it's incumbent on you to do so. So if you're a guy and you're stuck in the friend zone, it's usually a guy in the friend zone. It's usually, in my experience, the woman who's dating who wants to be married that the guy does, is dragging his feet. When it's the friend zone, it's usually the guy who's stuck in the friend zone. I say, look, guys, if you're gonna, if you're not willing to just essentially deliver the ultimatum and then break it off, then you're stuck in the friend zone basically for a long time. Being in that zone is actually going to stop you from looking seriously elsewhere for someone to marry. And um, that just kind of gets into that thing where people say, well, maybe that's OK. It's OK not to be married, which it is, of course, OK not to be married. And then we get into the whole issue of actually a lot of people get to when they're older and say, you know, what? I wish I'd been married and I feel like I've been kind of sold a pup here. Singleness is not as great as I thought it would be or and I've heard you speak about how a lot of um, not a lot but some metropolitan churches um, 
you know, go out of their way to sort of make make it a plausible, happy pathway for people to be single until it's too late to have children or, you know, it's, it's I guess it's never too late to get married, but but there's a ticking clock on having children. Right. And um, I think, you know, you're the only person I've come across who's actually pointed that out. And I and I think we know one or two people who are in that situation. And it's mm. it's really hard. And when you sort of talk about this stuff, I've I've heard some pretty... Uh, horrible pushback on that as as well. Um, well, people don't. There's tremendous um, fear in the Christian churches about saying anything that would make someone feel bad about themselves, and so anything about singleness, you know, mm -hmm. and you need to do something about that. Anybody who's single, they're it's going to react badly. And believe me, I know that you these these pastors and these leaders are going to hear it and they're going to get a ton of blowback if they say anything that is, you know, remotely viewed as making, you know, some of their single members feel bad about themselves. It, it, it happens all the time. And so they just decide discretion is the better part of valor. Hmm. And they sort of try to like navigate um, what to do. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that, that's kind of a challenge. And you bring up a good point. It's, it's not just that there's this asymmetric intent that you're stuck in the friend zone. You know, that's one that's one of the bad outcomes. But just think about your friends. With them. You're in this platonic friendship, okay? And what are all the things that could go right with that? Well, <laughs> the one thing that could really go right, and this seemed to have happened for Tim and Kathy Keller, is that you actually do become romantic and you then get, you know, go get married. So that's one great positive outcome. And so maybe in that sense, it's okay experimenting with being friends for a few months to see if it actually goes, you know, if it goes anywhere as a prelude to seeing to whether it will go anywhere. Okay. So that's one possible outcome. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think it's highly unlikely that you will find a long-term stable friendship that is just a good friend where there's never any sort of that. That's sort of a fantasy outcome. But I think one possible outcome is friendship could be the first step to dating, which then leads to marriage. And so maybe you might say, hey, I'm willing to be friends for a little bit because that's sort of the pre-dating step for me. That's just a perfectly fine way to think about it. But I think about well, what are all the things that could go wrong? Well, one, you know, you could, you could, again, you could fall for her romantically. You become friends with her. And now you've fallen for her and now you're in the friend zone, right? So she doesn't want to date you, but you're now interested in her. Uh, and now you're caught in the friend zone. And again, maybe you spend years of your life in the friend zone, right? You're spending years in the vain hope that this woman is going to come around and you're somehow going to be able to get her interested in you. And you pass up so many opportunities to have met other high quality women who would have been interested in you, right? So that's years of your life. You'll never get back. It's years of your life. You could have spent, you know, married or in a relationship. Could also be the opposite. Maybe she falls for you and you're, you're not interested in dating her. You just want to be friends, but now she wants to date you. And now you're in a very awkward situation yeah. <laughs> yourself. And, what do you do? And so if you yeah. do you string her along and try to like, you know, that's what a lot of guys sort of do. They try to like, well, it's just like when they're dating or do you break it off? And then if you break it off, what if she goes nuclear? What if she starts going crazy on, on you? She gets very upset. Now you've, now there's a problem there. 
There's the um, fatal attraction bunny bunny boiler kind of thing. Yeah. But actually, as you're speaking there as well, there, there's an asymmetry with that too, which is a, a man has more time in the sense that he can be he can mm. be in that situation and then aged in his 40s and 50s. I'm not looking at anyone in particular here, um, Barry, but. Um, but but for a woman, it's it's going to be harder for them to find someone to marry if they get stuck in that platonic friendship, which kind of starts to exclude other ones. So mm-hmm. it all seems terribly unfair, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you're you're absolutely right. Again, it is unfair in a sense, but men have a longer runway to, you know, have kids. For example, I had my son at age 47. Okay, so I always tell people, don't live life the way I lived it. A lot of what I'm saying in you know, my newsletter is sort of the via negativa here. Let me tell you what I've learned about what doesn't work, what you shouldn't do, uh, kind of thing. Uh, and so, but yeah, at 47, um, you know, I was able to have a son. You know, a woman at 47 is going to find it much, much more difficult um, to have a kid. So there's just, there is just asymmetry there. And it's high, mm. it's higher, certainly higher risk for women to end up either in a dating relationship that's not going anywhere or a friendship that's not going anywhere. The other thing is now, you know, again, let's just say you're friends with this woman and uh, you end up, again, you end up falling into some sort of sexual relationship with her. Well, what happens if you get her pregnant or what happens if you're married? And this will say a lot of guys who are married, if you're married, you get guy and you're having a personal friendship with a, you know, a woman who's not your wife, you are playing with fire. You could destroy your life on that. Mm. Um, yeah. And is that and, yeah. is that the Matt Chandler thing? I mean, we should, yeah, yeah. We Matt, should really... Matt, Matt Chandler is a great example. You know, Matt Chandler is the pastor of this megachurch. He's sitting on top of the world. He's married. He's got kids. He and his wife's great. And he starts apparently a, some Instagram direct message conversation with this woman. So this woman was a friend of his. And here's the key. It wasn't secret. His wife knew about it. Everybody knew these people were friends. Apparently, it wasn't sexual or it wasn't romantic in any way. There was no evidence that the messages they were sending, this is what they say anyway, that mm. these messages were you know, of an inappropriate romantic or adulterous nature. But nevertheless, uh, somebody said that the messages he sent her were inappropriate, and he was suspended from his pastorate and may actually be can who knows if he'll ever be back i don't know what's going to happen there but this is a an outcome that could have been avoided if this guy simply said no i'm not going to be friends with women who are my wife i'm not going to have dm conversations like this with women who are not my wife yeah. even if my wife knows about it even if everybody's in it because what's the upside what is the potential upside for this i what i call it asymmetric outcomes right it's mm-hmm. like the potential upside is nil. Once you are married, uh, the potential upside from being a friend with a woman, personal friend with a woman, is zero. <laughs> the downside is unlimited. That right. is not what you want to be. You want the opposite. You want things that have limited downside and unlimited upside. Mm-hmm. So you're really, in this case, you're buying. You're, you're, it's like you know buying a security that's almost guaranteed to lose money. And so that's mm-hmm. what happened to him. And yeah. I guess some of our female <laughs> listeners, if I may speak, I'm uh, sorry, I've got I've got a wife, two daughters, um, and and a mother, right. 
and I can't, I don't speak for all women here, uh, but I guess some would say it's not zero upside. They get the enriching relationship with with a woman who has you know wisdom stuff to teach them and that and that kind of thing so I, i'm not saying that so i'm only pushing back on the fact that there's zero upside i'm just saying the the upside does not in any way reflect the downside and boy that downside looks pretty big right now uh, yeah it? i mean i don't know that that's really upside i mean if you're if you're getting something out of a relationship with another woman that you're not getting from your relationship with your wife like that's a mm. little you know I, I don't know that's that's what i mean that's where it's like it's it's intrinsically substituting for something else, unlike kind of a male friendship. And again, uh-huh. there's plenty of scope. If you're a married man, yes, you and your wife could be friends with other couples. You could yeah. have lots of interactions with other women uh, in that kind of context. Yeah. Um, lots mm-hmm. of uh, couples have great friendships with other couples, yeah. and you could have a you know great friendship with the wife in the context of you know that that kind of friendship. You know, it's it's not the same as going off and just having some, you know, that. So there's plenty of opportunities there, um, you know, to do it. Now, again, as I said, my DMs are open. Uh, my DMs are open, as I say, because part of it, because my work, people send me DMs. They send me tips. They send me things. I'm not saying that, you know, if a woman sends me a DM on Twitter, you know, hey, here's a great article I saw that I'm not going to respond and say thank you or something like that. But I'm not going to get involved in some DM conversations on Instagram. Yeah. You know, with these women, because it's it's just, uh, you know, it's not uh, there's n- there's only bad things can happen. And it just look at this guy, Matt Chandler, who may end up losing everything over DMs mm. that weren't even sexual, weren't even adulterous, which everybody missed. It's like it's so strange. Yeah. It's very strange. And of course, a lot of the. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, the pro friendship crowd is actually uh, they're actually disturbed by this one. They're like, there has to be something more than what's mm. being said, and okay. that the church should come clean that there's something more. And you know, it may well be that there's something we don't know about that hasn't been disclosed. But regardless, even if it's something worse, or if there's not something worse, he could have avoided it if he'd just not had this relationship with this woman. You know, it's it's just don't if you do it, you. You know, there's a, a proverb in the Bible. Can a man carry hot coals next to his chest and not get burned? And there's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, one potential upside uh, I think would be probably advanced is the idea of the corporate witness of the church to the watching world so obviously in the new testament uh paul talks about koinonia between brothers and sisters in a church and christ himself in john 13 where he says you know the the command to love one another uh, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another so i can imagine that one of the pushbacks might be okay here's an upside potentially um, when a church of men and women um, love one another, now obviously there's, you've got to exercise wisdom in how that, that plays out, but it's a potentially, they would argue, terrific witness to a watching world that men and women can be friends within the church without the kind of blow-ups that you might typically see outside 
in, in in the secular world generally. I mean, do do you think there's anything in that that hey, we ought to be able to because of what Christ said, we ought well, to be able to love. We're each back other to better. the ought and the should again, aren't we? Yes, quite. That, well, I, guess I just that is you that. know again mm. this kind of corporate uh, relationship here, you know, does not necessarily imply a one-on-one personal friendship. Right, I I don't const I don't uh, describe the relationships I have with my brother or my sisters as friendships, right? Hmm. And so I think it's uh, there's this uh, sleight of hand I think in which people talk about these brotherly and sisterly relationships and translate that into a contemporary friendship context. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that Paul would be hanging out, you know, with his friend, female friend. Uh, at the local watering hole by himself. Mm. You know, I think in, in those sorts of traditional societies, more likely there would have been much, much more gender segregation. And so some might say, well, yes, but Jesus did in John chapter four with the Samaritan woman, to which you might then say, yeah, it's it's a screamingly romantic situation. And the, and the theme of Christ and his bride is running all the way through John. And it's actually almost a sort of a scandalous situation that it is pregnant with um, you know, it feels like when Jacob meets his wife, Jacob literally runs over at the well and kisses her. And so you just think, is Jesus going to run over and kiss? This is like a romantic scene in a movie where there's hanging around, hanging around near the um, the fruit and veg where you might meet your future spouse. I think that's that's kind of part of it. And then when Jesus is alone um, in the garden um, after his resurrection with Mary Magdalene, it's like, again, it's Christ and his bride. These are romantic uh, you know, romance is being evocated, aren't they? Yeah, what I would say, uh, you know, Jesus met with this woman at a well, but he didn't establish an ongoing relationship with her. Right. Hey, you know, let me come back next week. We'll we'll hang out down at the local uh, inn, <laughs> you know, and enjoy a few uh, tankards of ale or something. Yeah. You Send know, me he, some private messages. And, you know, yeah. and, and so, you know, Jesus uh, certainly was willing to interact with women treat women in ways that many people in that society would not have treated him, uh, mm. treated them. Uh, but, you know, I don't think Jesus, um, you know, Jesus is, there's a lot of evidence that Jesus is establishing these one-on-one sort mm. of ongoing, personal, private relationships. Hey, you know, um, why don't you put your, uh, put your phone number in here so we can start DMing each other and we'll be friends. We'll be good <laughs> friends. You know, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I don't say he, he had friends with you know uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus mm. and those people. He, he had a lot of female women around him. Um, mm. uh, you know, and and again, I said, I'm not one of these people who advocates, oh, you should never talk to a woman, kind of thing. Mm. You know, mm. those are the sorts of things that, like, oh, you know, if you're, you can never go have a cup of coffee with a woman. Mm. And you know, I don't do, I don't do that. I mean, I'm like, oh, great, mm. I will have a, if you know. You know, I, I've got uh, this happened recently. You know, a woman reached out. She's like, "Hey, you know, I saw you linked to my article. You know, can you can we have a, a call? Because I'd like to talk about you know places I might be able to write in the future." So I'm like, happy to to do that. I connected her with some editors. There's nothing wrong with that, but I'm not going to sit here and say, "Hey, let's start you know let's start chatting more kind of thing." Mm. It's just it's just unwise. Yeah, you know. I guess there's that difference between what is good and what is wise. Yeah. The people who advocate for these friendships are going to throw you to the wolves when there's trouble. They'll say, oh, your problem is you were a sinner. Your problem is, you know, you were an abuser. 
your problem was all these things. If you just didn't do all those bad things, uh, we, we're probably getting close to time to wrap yeah, up. Absolutely. But what I want to say is, you know, if you want to be friends with women, do it. It's your choice in life. I'm not telling people how to live their life. It's a free country. Live your life however you want to live it. I'm just providing all this information. And if something, if, if you get Matt Chandlered, then it's on you. And that's why the good or the bad are these things are going to fall on you. They're not going to fall on me. And so, uh, you know, it's your, uh, you know, it's your choice about what to do. I would say I personally think that it's, it's a high risk, low reward path. And it's one that I've said, I'm not going to take. Yeah. And I think on the surface, it does feel like, I think you're right that Matt Chandler's been extremely unwise. It seems on the surface that, to me, that the rules that they're enforcing, they're acting as if he really has done something much worse than it appears that he's done. Well, say there's got to be more to this story. It seems to me, candidly, I mean, I don't know what happened, but based on what they described, he didn't actually do anything, quote unquote, wrong. But the problem is, again, the mere fact that he was in this relationship with this woman and DMing with her put him in the position in which this sort of thing could happen to him. There has not been any information released to date Mm-hmm. It suggests that he did anything objectively wrong. He just talked about coarse joking, didn't he? I think that was the phrase he used. Exactly. And I, my first thought was, well, if you've had that in a DM with a with a male congregant, it's hard to imagine it blowing up in the same way. But as you say, we don't know. Aaron, it's been so good to have this conversation. We should probably wrap up, shouldn't we, James? Um, just to say again, head on over to AaronRen.com and sign up for the newsletter. Listen to the podcast. Um, it is terrific content. I've been really blessed by it. I'm really grateful for your work, Aaron, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll speak to you next time. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you're hungry for more, we actually recorded a feature-length episode. It's an hour and a half, and you can get hold of it on Patreon and also on Cooper and Kerry Plus on Apple Podcasts. So you just hit the button on that, and you can subscribe and get hold of that. And join us monthly or annually, and that really helps keep the lights on on the show. It also incorporates a bit of Barry and I having a reflection afterwards about friendships that we've had uh, with the opposite sex and how we felt about them subsequently. So go on over to patreon.com forward slash Cooper and Kerry Look for a link in the show notes or Apple Podcasts where you can get hold of more of us. More words from Cooper and Carey. Thanks for listening to the ones that we had. Cheerio.